Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Berhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. Today we're going to talk about management. Ooh, one of my favorite topics. Oh, good. Well, then you can start. Ooh, you go, girl. I, I'm just not used to starting. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. I threw it for a loop there. I don't know how to start. <laughs> okay, I'll start. All training programs, all training programs require some form of management. Correct. I'm going to go out on a limb and just claim that as an absolute. At some point when you're training a dog to do just about anything, you're going to need to manage that dog. That's because when you're not working with the dog and when you're not able to reinforce whatever it is. That was easy for you to say. It's going to be easier for other people to listen to. If you can't reinforce whatever it is that you're trying to teach the dog, you have to have a way for the dog to be in a situation where he's not going to come up against that problem. Right. We don't want him practicing bad behavior. Just maybe old behavior or whatever it is that we wish to go away. Right. Which would be, in in our terms, most people's term, bad behavior. I know. You know, I don't know why lately I'm having such an issue with the term bad behavior because I think most bad behaviors are just normal dog behaviors. Right. And I kind of wish people would just realize that they're not bad, they're just mistaken. Right. They're just making a mistake. But yes, you're right, it is. Okay, so we don't want them to practice the bad behavior. So all training programs are a certain percentage of work, of training, of behavior modification, of whatever it is that you're doing, reinforcing correct behaviors. And then another percentage of managing the issue. And management just means putting the dog in a situation where he's not confronted with a situation. Putting the dog, oh my God. Are you having trouble today? Yes. Yes, I am. See, I shouldn't have had you start. I know. You you put me on the spot. So I think what she's trying to say is that when you can't actually proactively keep your dog out of trouble, there has to be some sort of management involved to keep him from making up games on his own. Or practicing the old behavior. Right. Yeah, that was close. Okay. Close <laughs> enough. And we call that management. So a common management tool would be to put the dog behind a baby gate. Right. Right. Tether the dog. Exactly. And so here's one. As I've mentioned before, uh, my husband is allergic to dogs. How he married me, I have no idea. (laughs) It is an interesting choice, um, I have to say. Yeah. So my dogs aren't allowed in all of the house, especially upstairs where there's carpeting. And upstairs we have a cat who rarely comes downstairs. So I will let the dogs into the downstairs part of the house. Mostly they're in the kitchen and my office and the den. So when they're in the rest of the house, like the living room, I put a baby gate at the bottom of the stairs. Number one, because there's carpeting. And number two, because I have a cat upstairs. Mm -hmm. So I just, instead of having to continually watch my dog and make sure that she doesn't go upstairs, I just put a baby gate at the bottom of the stairs. Right. And that's a permanent management situation, but a more temporary management situation might be you were training your dog, let's say, in that same set of circumstances, you know, without your husband, the allergic man. (laughs) Let's say that you were just training your dogs, that they weren't allowed to be on the stairs at the same time that you were. Right. Or that they weren't allowed to be go upstairs 
without you inviting them upstairs. Okay. Then you might work on that for a period of time. You might actually actively train that for a while. And then when you knew that you were going to become distracted and not be able to reinforce it, and maybe there was an opportunity for the dog to go up the stairs when he wasn't supposed to, you would then put that management tool in place. Right. So management just fits in to every training situation. Anytime somebody is working with the dog and then they take the dog out of a situation where he can repeat the behavior the way they don't want to see it. Right. The dog is being managed. Right. So we kind of wanted to talk today about what kind of management you can use. What are ideas for management that some may be really obvious to you and some may be less so? Right. Well, I like tethers. Mm-hmm. I like to use tethers, whether it's a leash attached to something or if you have a dog that would chew through a leash, you know, a cable tie, that kind of thing that you mm-hmm. put around a heavy piece of furniture. Or in my office, I have it attached to my filing cabinet, not the top drawer, by the way, the bottom drawer, because mm-hmm. you don't want the dog to pull um, to pull the filing cabinet over. Um, but I also like exercise pens. That's a good idea. Baby gates are always a good idea. Yeah. Putting the dog in a different area of the house. Right. That's a good idea. I mean, right. I think we talked at one time about, the, we have already done the Halloween podcast mm-hmm. where we talked about when you can't work with the dog and you've got all these kids coming to the ha- house and you've got all these things happening that are out of the ordinary. You might take the dog and put the dog in a room where he's not going to have access to that. Or you exactly. might put him behind a baby gate where right. he's not going to have the ability to come out and interact in a way that could be inappropriate. Right. And, you know, we're not just talking about when you don't want the dog to practice things when you can't always watch the dog. But, like, here's an example. One time I was working with a client's dogs. I'm walking down the street, and I get past this house, and... All of a sudden, I hear dog toenails on the pavement coming from behind me. Mm-hmm. And I turn around, and these two Labradors are coming barreling out this gate. And it's one of those electronic gates that goes across the, the driveway, but the gate is open. And these two dogs come out. Luckily, one of them stopped at the edge of there because I was yelling and screaming. One of them was intimidated enough that he stopped. The other one comes at me with these two dogs and starts going after the little dog. And thank God, the Mastiff that I had with me kind of fought this dog off. These dogs had no collars on. I had no way to grab a hold of this dog. The thing is, this guy stops in the street and sort of helps me, and I say, can you push the buzzer and tell the person to get their butt down here? That was very politely said, by the way. I have a feeling you didn't say it that politely. Uh So anyway, so a plumber that was working on this guy's property had propped the gate open, had put a thing over the sensor which kept the gate open. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the speaker box, because the guy who stopped in the street, had pushed the buzzer, but before he could say, and he, he was saying, uh, I think you need to come down here. Your dog's just attacked a woman in the street. And then I start yelling over this man using a tro- few choice words, mm-hmm. telling him he needed to get his rear end down there. And the guy comes out and starts apologizing to me, saying, well, the plumbers weren't supposed to prop the gate open. And I said, I don't care. These dogs are your responsibility, not the plumber's responsibility. If you have people working on your property, you need to put the dogs someplace where they're not somebody else's responsibility. That brings up a really good point, actually. I agree with you. I think that if you're going to have people coming to your house and working on your house, you cannot ever, ever assume, even if you've outlined what needs to happen, you cannot ever assume that they are going to be Take responsibility for your dogs and make sure something doesn't happen. That's when you manage them. Yeah. It amazes me how many of my clients have pools or gardeners that 
the gardeners or the poolmen have a key or not a key and the gate's just, you know, unlocked, that they just let themselves in and they trust the gardeners and the pool man not to let their dogs out. And the same thing with meter readers. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, that the, that the people just come in are, and are expected to close the door after them. And sometimes they don't have dogs and they don't understand why that's important and it's not important to them. And they're busy and they're thinking about other things and they leave the gate open and the dog gets out and there's some disaster comes Mm -hmm. to pass, whether it's the dog goes and aggresses at somebody or, you know, the dog gets hit by a car, God forbid, whatever. And they want to blame it on the meter reader or the pool man or the, the gardener. And the truth is... You know what? That's your responsibility. It's your dog. Right. That's where you could, if you knew about it, you could use some kind of management tool. Yeah. Meaning tether the dog, put the dog in a crate, put the dog behind a baby gate, close the dog in a room. Bring the dog in the house on those. You know, if I'm not here when my gardeners come, they don't do my backyard. Yeah. If I end up having a long day and I don't get home before the gardeners get here, they don't do the backyard. Because I'm not going to lock my dog up all day long and I'm not going to leave the gate open. But we have the kind of job where you can come home. And some people don't. Sometimes some people work a nine yeah, to five and they don't, they don't. have that. Sometimes and, I, I can't. And so, okay. But what I'm saying is, there are people out there that wouldn't have that. So then you have to come up with a creative management tool to do that. Right. My sister had. Um, she has two dogs now that I got her. She took one of my puppies, and she had gotten an Australian Shepherd prior to that that I had picked for her. And when I brought the second dog, I said, you know what? You now are working, and you're going to have to figure out a way that your pool guy and your gardener can come into the yard, and we don't have to worry about these dogs. So they actually put up an extra area in their yard. They put up an extra gate. Yeah. So the dogs have a dog door out into this extra area. Her husband maintains that area. The gardeners do not. Right. And on the day that the gardeners are coming, the gate between there and the rest of their backyard is locked. Right. So that no one can get in. Yeah. It's just a management tool. It's a way. And by the way, my mother lives there. My mother is retired, and she lives there. But she's just not always able to get up and deal with the dogs. Right. She has some health issues. So this just allows her to be in a situation where she doesn't have to worry about something right. really bad happening. Right. Still not the greatest situation. I'd rather that the dogs were locked in, and that's what my mom tries to do, because right. I don't want them out barking at the gardeners. But still, it's managed. At least it's a situation where the dogs won't get hurt. Right. And the same thing. Or the gardener. Right. Right. And the same thing for meter readers. We had um, an electronic meter put in for the electricity so that they can stand in front of my house with an antenna Mm -hmm. and read the meter because we raised our fence up to seven feet high and he could no longer see through, you know, from the neighbor's yard over our fence. And so we had them do that. And the same thing for the gas. We had them turn the gas meter facing a different direction and drilled a little hole in the fence. So he can read it. I never have to be home. I never have to open my gate for the meter. Yes. And if you don't want to go to those lengths, you can request that they give you a schedule so that you know when the meter readers, I have one both for the gas and for the electrics, so I know when they're going to be around because I keep locks on my gates. I don't allow somebody to come into my gates unless I know about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) in advance. And actually the gas people ended up, Turning, coming in and turning my meter so that they were able to read it from over the fence. And they I guess do that they for free. To do that. I, they sure did. That and yeah. the, the electronic one. They, they did actually, it for free. They actually couldn't have been nicer about it. Um, so those are situations where you might want to manage. But there are other situations that are maybe part of your daily life where you don't think about it. One of the situations that needs to be managed, in my opinion, is when you have a party and you have a big group of people at your house. If you have a dog that isn't super social, super reliable, super uh, good around people and will not go through the 
gate and will not go out the front door and isn't going to steal food, food. Of right, then you need to manage that situation. It is not the responsibility of your guests to handle your dog. And unfortunately, if you allow behavior to spin out of control at those times, then you just made any kind of behavior modification that you want to do ten times harder. Right. Simply because you were unwilling to manage that one small event. Right. So that is a really good time. For me, if I'm going to have like a small dinner party, my dogs are trained to stay up on a futon. Mm -hmm. And so they'll get up on that futon and they'll stay there during the time that I'm having the party. But if I was going to have a larger party of people there, I might at that time decide, okay, this is a really good time to bring out their marrow bones and stick them in a crate. Right. And now they have their little party in a crate. (laughs) Right. And I have my party with people coming and going and the doors left open. And And you don't have to worry. You don't have to look around at the end of the night and go, oh, my gosh, one of my dogs is missing. Well, and the funny thing is my dogs are super social, and they would be really good around those people, but that's not really the point. The point is I then don't have to give it a thought, Mm -hmm. not a thought. A dog is not going to get up on a table and get something, and now I have a problem, a situation where I should be working with the dog, and I'm not. I'm not at liberty to because there's people there. And now my dog just learned, hey, you know what, when there's – food up on the table and there's all this going on we can just it's a free-for-all we yeah can just go get that food yeah we have we have a christmas party at my sister's house every year and she has three dogs and i usually bring one of my dogs my pit bull who's who's over the top as far as play goes and loves everybody and between him and their labrador and their golden retriever mix they tend to knock things over mm-hmm. and so when i see him getting over the top i put him in a downstay someplace mm-hmm. because it's okay for their dogs you know i mean it's their house and if their dogs get out of control then they will put them outside but if i see him starting to go to a place that i wouldn't tolerate at my house whether or not they're going to tolerate it at their house mm-hmm. i'm not going to i wouldn't tolerate it at my house so i'm not going to let him do it at somebody else's house right and if you didn't have the ability to put him on that reliable downstay you He'd might be choose to attach to me right you might you would need to use some other kind of management tool. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if that means, when I go to visit my sister who's out of state, we don't see them that often, I always take a crate with me. So I might have three dogs and only one crate, but I have a crate so that if I have a dog that's going a little over the top and I don't want to deal with him, I don't want to have to put myself in a position where I'm stressed out because I'm trying to be entertaining with my family and deal with the dog, I can use the crate. Most of the time I don't have to, but a lot of times if I have a really young dog, then that gives me, and she always says, oh, don't put him in a crate. Yes, I'm going to, because I'm worried that the dog might do something that is a problem behavior that, that I, you're can't, not catch. I can't watch right now. I can't right. watch for. So we shouldn't spend all our time there, but if I, we get involved in doing something, or yeah. if we're going to, you know, typically if I'm visiting somebody's house and we're going to go, because they live out of state, so I stay there for a few days, and we're going to go out and do something, going to put the dogs in a crate. Absolutely. They're in a strange house, yeah. and they might make a mistake. And the truth is, their mistake is going to be my sister's cleaning, repair, whatever bill, mm-hmm. and it's just not acceptable to me. Yeah, and it's and it's much more. You can be much more relaxed. It's a big relief to know that your dog is safe in their crate, and not doing anything. Safe from harm. Safe from damage to something. Just safe. And that's a big deal because I think that sometimes people think, well, you're a trainer. Why would your dog do something? Because I think that's a mistake that people make. They don't realize that dogs frequently do things that we consider bad because it was a mistake. They didn't know. They were minus that information. In this set of circumstances, they didn't know how to 
successfully negotiate it. Right. And not only that, but they know how to behave and what's expected in our house. That's what I'm saying. But we take them to somebody else's house, and they don't know that the same rules apply. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't seem the same. They don't feel the same. Maybe they have a little more anxiety or they're a little nervous because you leave them. Right. And so they're liable to do something that they wouldn't normally do at home that they would never do at home. Right. If you travel with them a great deal, you might know that they're not going to do that. But if you only travel with them occasionally, they could make a mistake. And being left in a strange strange home or a strange room can cause anxiety. And And that anxiety can lead to destruction, whether it's chewing destruction or digging at the door, trying to get out destruction, trying to find out where you went, that kind of stuff. And that acting out is not out of anger. It's not throwing a tantrum. It's not getting back, back at you. It's anxiety. Plain and simple. The dog gets nervous. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He does something to try to fix it for himself, only it's something you don't want to see. Yeah. And so then we call it bad behavior. It's not bad behavior. It's just dog behavior. Yeah. Normal dog behavior. And different dogs are going to negotiate things differently. And from their perspective, it's not better or worse. From ours it is because it may fit. Some behaviors might come closer to what we expect. But it doesn't mean it's better behavior than anything else. It's only yeah. something we look at as better. So, okay, one of my favorite management tools is a crate because I travel with my dogs. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of my favorite management tools. The other is tether, and a lot of times I ask my client. That's what I suggest to my clients. I had a client that had a dog that was really nervous around people. She got this dog. She had a lot of construction going on in her house. She had a lot of people coming and going from her house on a very regular basis. Very active house. And the dog was nervous around people. He mm-hmm. just was nervous. And, and he was potentially going to snap at somebody. Mm-hmm. Honestly, though, he wasn't a bad guy. He didn't have a bad bone in his body. But he was nervous. It made him really nervous and uptight. Right. And so I told her, okay, we have got to manage this. This is in large part a management situation. Are we going to do some behavior modification? Are we going to try to help him develop a right. higher comfort level? Sure. But you know what? This is not going to happen overnight. He's He is legitimately nervous. And he feels like he's on his own. He Yes. So you know what? we got to help him. And the way to help him is to manage him and then bring him out in small doses and give him these experiences under controlled circumstances and make sure that they turn out in a positive way, right? right? And do some classical conditioning. So I had her using several management tools. I had her put up a baby gate. I had her put tethers in various rooms. Right. I told her when people come into your house and they don't know the dog, if you if it's two or three people and you know that you can talk to them and you can get them to follow these rules, then tether him. Tether him in the room so that he can't come too far out in the room and let them know. Walk around the room. Go about your your business normally. Don't look at him. Don't talk to him. Just do your thing. Just take the pressure off. Don't make him feel nervous. Go about it. But that way we know he can't run over and bite them because he mistakes something that they do. As, as a potential threat. Right. This dog became protective of her. And right. so it, it, when the people would try to hug her, he would try to get between them. Right. Anyway, and, I'm sorry. And the same, no, no, that's okay. And, and the same thing goes for um, something that you were thinking Something of. that I was thinking that, <laughs> yeah, okay. I talked too long. No, I'm sorry. my brain. <laughs> well, I think you had one recently that happened that was a, a kind of a similar situation, nervous dog yeah. behind a gate. And, and you know what? It's really important to know that 
when you use those management tools, those management tools are not just to keep the dog away from people. Sometimes it's to keep the people away from dogs. Yes, I think that's what I was going to say. Okay. Something to that effect. Okay, so, so you have to be sure that people understand that just because the dog is in this controlled situation doesn't mean that they are now at, at liberty to go up and really push into this dog's comfort zone. Right. One of the things that you're doing is you're managing stress. When you're doing management, one of the things that you're doing is managing stress. That's one of the things, you know, in many situations, not all, but many situations, you're managing the dog's stress levels. So you're not allowing him to be put in a position where he's really freaked. Right. And also, you know, food is good. The whole classical conditioning thing is good. But what I have a problem with is you take a fearful dog and you have the person, the scary person, feed the dog. Mm Mm-hmm. I would rather the dog see the person and you feed the dog. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, is that, you know, the whole fight or flight thing, Mm -hmm. if the dog is food motivated and the dog goes up to the person to take the food, now he's in a much closer proximity to the scary thing. Mm -hmm. Which means that once he gets the food, he's more likely to go, ah! Right. And then bark, lunge, snap at you, bite, to make you go away, to create that distance. Because now that that dog is up close, he's not going to turn around and turn his back on you. Right. Well, actually, one of the techniques that I use with dogs, depending on the dog, I mean, I certainly wouldn't use this with a dog that I thought was potentially really dangerous, Mm -hmm. but one of the techniques that I use is when a dog, say, is at my house, is I will have somebody have food in their hand and be walking about, and I'll let the dog smell it. Yeah, he's got something good. And when the dog gets close enough, the person just simply drops the food. Right. Right? And then walks away. Right. And then the dog comes up closer, and the person drops the food and then walks away. And then the dog comes up closer, and eventually the dog is taking it out of the person's hand, but they're not looking at them. And you get a dog that now wants to be in close proximity to the stranger. Right. (laughs) Because the stranger seems um, like a good person. But I agree with you. That whole giving the stranger giving the dog food can be a real problem. Because when you have somebody walk up and stare at your dog and hand your dog food. Stick their hand out at the dog. Right. Once that food is in the dog's mouth, the person can suddenly become scary. Right. Very scary. And because because you're right, the person is looking at the dog to see, to look for a reaction. Now thinks that because the dog took food, now he's their best friend. And then they they cannot resist the temptation to try to pet the dog over the top of the head. Right. But I think I mean I like your idea about then having the person move away. Yes. So that they're not stuck in that proximity. Well, not only that, it gets the dog thinking, "Hey, come back here." Right. Hey, I like you. Come Don't back run away here. From me. Right. <laughs> Which is really a major turning the tables of, you know, of the situation. Because, unfortunately, I agree with you. I've always had a problem with that situation, too, is that once the food is in the dog's mouth, now there's a tremendous amount of pressure. Yeah. Now the dog is stuck with the person staring at them and their hand out and the the whole thing. Right. And because it's hard. It's hard on the dog. He's so compelled to go up and take the food, and now he's in this. He's really close. Right. And he doesn't know what to do. But when you're using something like this, when you're using one of these techniques, and we're not necessarily... uh, outlining protocols here because that's something that a trainer does when they come in and they assess your dog but in addition to those things then comes in the management of okay now I'm going to be put this dog in a situation where he I can't control everything that happens around him so what do I need to do Right. I need to make sure that I manage him in such a way. And I think that part of the reason that sometimes you come up against resistance, and I do sometimes come up against resistance when I try to outline some management for people, is because they say, well, I don't want to avoid the situation. I want to fix it. But management is a tool that you use while you're fixing a problem. Right. And avoidance is perfectly fine when there's no graceful way 
to deal with the situation. I don't want to put a dog in a situation that you have no graceful way of getting out of because then it's a lose-lose situation and the dog is learning is learning the opposite of what you want him to learn. Right. Which is really, you know, it's like one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. It's the whole, we're never going to get to our end result. We're never going to get there because we keep letting the dog slide back into old behaviors over and over and right. over again. And we all know that under times of stress, especially if you have a dog that has a habit of doing certain things, that under times of stress, we revert back to what is most comfortable for us, right. what is our habit. And those times of stress, by the way, do not necessarily have to be negative times of stress. They can be times of excitement. They can be times of, of distraction. They mm-hmm. can be times of all sorts of things. Just because you say the word stress, because stress is one of the things that we're... And, but yeah. I think that that brings a certain idea into people's, or a certain picture into people's mind. And right. the truth is, under times of unusual circumstances when the dog is presented with something that isn't where he can think completely about what he's doing. Right. He's going to slide, him, we, uh, everybody, we're all going to slide back into old behaviors. Right. Okay. So um, management, real quick, because I think we're kind of coming towards the end of this, but management is one of those situations that you would apply to when you're working on a dog with excess barking, Mm -hmm. leash pulling. Right. Uh, aggression, dogs right. jumping up, fearful, fearful behavior, a door dasher leads to aggression. Right, a door, a door dasher. Right. Right. So, any time that you're working with any of these behaviors and you're trying to change what's going on, what the dog does, you have to think about: okay, I'm going to work on getting the dog to change. Whatever the protocol is, maybe you've hired a trainer and they've given you a protocol, and I'm going to work on that. Then, how am I going to manage the dog when I can't work the protocol? That's right. How am I going to make sure that this behavior doesn't go back to the old way, that these opportunities don't present themselves when I'm not able to be training or teaching? Right. And two weeks of working a protocol versus six months or a year of the old behavior that you don't like does not make up for the old behavior. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't automatically retrain him. You have to do it for a lot longer than a couple of weeks. You can't just work it a couple of times and manage the situation so well that you don't see any instances and then suddenly put him in the position, the situation, and go, well, I thought he was fixed. That's right. The management portion of this especially needs to be weaned very slowly and after you've really worked through whatever your problem is under a lot of different sets of circumstances and really proofed it. Yeah, Yeah, because part of the management is keeping him out of those situations. So you really don't know what he will do in those situations given that opportunity at any specific time. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a certain number of good things under your belt and then you can't just suddenly drop the leash. Mm -mm. You know, it's like you teach your dog to heal on leash and you think he's got a great heel. You can't just suddenly go to, well, now he'll heal next to me off leash and just completely take Take the the leash leash off. off. Right. That's a big, giant leap in thought there. Right. And now you've kind of slipped into testing versus training. I have, haven't I? Yes, you have. And that's one of those things. Management is not about um, managing the situation, and then once you feel that the dog has it, suddenly launching him into any old, you know, any old practical situation and saying, now it's going to be okay. Management is something that it takes a while before you're not using management. And actually, I think everybody uses management all the time with their dogs. Yeah. I mean, closed-in backyards are management. Yes. You know, management is just part of our closed doors, our management. Mm-hmm. 
All right. It's amazing how all of our topics kind of all mesh together. It is indeed. I think that's what training is. Remember me, <laughs> training in the big spider web. Woo, gave you chills again. All right. So that's it for management. I'm sure we'll come up with something in the future, but for now, that's it. This is Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Burheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818 818- 890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com Thank you for listening.